0: Hello, and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. Today we have four novels and one nonfiction. These books will take us from Mexico to Singapore and on to New York City and then into Europe. Both of us are ahead of our reading goals for January, so each of us have embarked on some fat tomes. For myself, I've had the guilty pleasure of reading the second book in the Empyrean series by Rebecca Yaros. The first book is Fourth Wing. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. And I'm a quarter of the way into her second book, Iron Flame. It's a fun romanticy. And I have
1: to say, that is a brick of a book. That's like 625 pages. I mean, you have to be careful if you're laying in bed reading something like that, because if you fall asleep, you'll give yourself a black eye.
0: <laughs> that's like huge. Yeah, you do need to be careful reading such a book in bed. It's true. And just a precursor here. These are not the books we're reviewing today. We're just, just telling you what we're up reading. to. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're reading some fat ones. What are you up to? I'm reading,
1: kind of chugging through Sish and Lou's, uh sci-fi series called Remembrance of Earth's Past. The first book of the series is uh, The Three-Body Problem. Mm. I just finished the second book, The Dark Forest, which is over 500 pages. Similarly, quite large. And um, I... I, every time I go to a bookstore, I see this book, The Three-Body Problem, or I saw it, and I just found out that Netflix is coming out with a series of the Three-Body Problems, so mm-hmm. I wanted to race and read it before
0: I watched it. Yeah, I'm excited about the show, too, because I can only commit to so many right. series. Right. You know, we need to read other books, but I'm excited to see this show. Um What you've told me about the storyline sounds like Netflix will have a great adaptation. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with Mm -hmm. it. Typically, you and I try not to read the same Mm -hmm. books. For the sake of the podcast, we make an effort to consume as wide a variety as possible. But every now and then, we say to each other, you've got to read this. As is the case with one of our books featured in today's episode. And you're referring, of course, to the novel Stillborn. Yes, Stillborn. Let's cue it up. Our first book today is a novel entitled Stillborn by Mexican author Guadalupe Natal. The story is about two female friends who had met in college and had bonded over their shared desire not to have children. They both believed motherhood would confine them and restrict their freedom, robbing them of their autonomy. Now, several years later, Laura and Alina reside in Mexico City, Mexico. And while Laura has had her tubes tied and is working on her thesis, Alina has changed her views on motherhood and is trying to conceive a child with her husband. Although their friendship remains strong, their paths begin to diverge. After experiencing difficulties conceiving, Alina finally becomes pregnant and they gleefully prepare for the arrival of their daughter Inez. Meanwhile, Laura's peace and solitude are disrupted when a boy and his mother move in next door. With only a thin wall separating the child and his mother from Laura's quiet apartment, the boy's frequent and violent outbursts cause Laura to get involved in their lives. Recognizing that the boy's mother is grappling with depression, Laura offers to take the child to the park and occasionally walks him to school so that the mother can have time alone. While Laura befriends her new neighbors, Alina and her husband are given devastating news about the health of their unborn child. Alina pulls away from friends as she struggles with her grief that the future she and her husband had envisioned has been drastically changed. Alina and her husband come to the realization that they can only live one day at a time. Michelle, this book is so good. After
1: reading the first two or three pages, I was hooked.
0: I'm so glad you read this book. As soon as I finished it, actually, probably midway through, I said, you've got to read this Mm -hmm, book. (laughs) Guadalupe Natal's writing is so clean and direct, and yet it's so deep. You know, and though the subject
1: matter is intense and emotional, I didn't feel dragged down by the content. Mm. And I think it's because the chapters are short and the book is short. It's only about 200 pages being passed between Alina and Laura, who each have their own chapters, really keeps the story moving, so you're not dwelling in the content.
0: hmm And I think it's important for us to note that we are intentionally not going to discuss or reveal too much about Alina's mm-hmm. child because it's significant to the story. But what we can say is that Alina's doctors are continuously changing the medical status of her child, like moving the goalpost. Right, so so Alina goes through this process of adapting to the news,
1: then the child's status changes again, and yet again she's thrown into this emotional chaos. And there's this powerful quote in the novel, something to the effect of, There's the child you imagine having, then there's the child you have and it really summarizes the hard truth that you can't create or plan what your future or what
0: your family will look like. Right. Some things are just out of your control. Yeah. And though this book highlights that a big part of being female is choosing whether or not to have children, it also highlights the difference between having children and mothering. Mothering can really be done without having children of your own as established by Laura and her involvement with her new neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I
1: really appreciate the boldness of Laura's character who stated confidently that she wasn't interested in children, which is still somewhat of a taboo thing for women to say. Mm -hmm. But again, though she didn't want to have her own children, she was was very maternal to her neighbor, to her neighbor's son, and even to that little bird on the nest of her balcony. It was Mm -hmm. so sweet. This is such a wonderful book about female friendship, found family, motherhood, and the decision not to be a mother. Mm -hmm.
0: And the feelings of grief, but then hope resonate Mm -hmm. through the pages. It's a very emotional and very real novel, I think, about women and what women experience. Mm -hmm. It is. Thank you so much for recommending this. I absolutely loved it. You're welcome. I'm so glad that I came across this book. A shout out to the Harvard Coop in Cambridge, Massachusetts for displaying this book on a table of other translated works. This novel, Stillborn, was written by Guadalupe Natal and was translated from Spanish to English by Rosalind Harvey. Natal is the author of four internationally award-winning novels. In 2023, Stillborn was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize, for good reason, and the book was first published in the United States by Bloomsbury in 2023. The author's first name is spelled G-U-A-D-A-L-U-P-E. Her last name is spelled N-E-T-T-E-L. On a final note, the title of the book is two words, Still space born.
1: Our next book today is a novel entitled The Great Reclamation by Rachel Hang. The novel is both a beautiful coming-of-age story and a history of Singapore between 1941 and the 1960s. The story begins in 1941 and centers around a seven-year-old boy named Abun who lives in a remote fishing village in rural Singapore. As is true for most seven-year-olds, the totality of Abun's world consists of his parents, his older brother, extended family, and some friends in the village. But the backdrop of this story is immense. Singapore is under British colonial rule. China and Japan are at war with each other. It is a war instigated by Japanese aggression and occupation. Globally, there is a world war that is spreading to more and more countries. The boy in the story, Abun, comes from generations of fishermen, and when the story starts, his father and older brother are taking him out on their fishing boat for the very first time. But, Abun is a gentle boy and finds that he doesn't enjoy fishing. He doesn't like the smell and mess and doesn't enjoy going out on the boat. Recognizing this about her son, Abun's mother finds a way to get him admitted into the local school. While attending his new school, Abun falls head over heels in love with a little girl in his class named Siok May. She is bold, outgoing, decisive, and Abun is absolutely smitten with her. As the story progresses, Japan invades Singapore and the British flee. These worldly events now begin to directly impact Abun and his small village. The novel follows Abun and Mei as they grow into adulthood and attend college. World War II ends, the Japanese leave, and the British Empire once again takes over rule of Singapore. In the end of the 1950s and early 60s, Siuk May and Abun begin to take different paths in their lives as Singapore moves towards independence from England. Siuk Mei supports unions and communism. She goes to student protests and can never seem to find inner peace when she sees that others continue to suffer. Abun, on the other hand, supports a move towards democracy and the new government and takes a job encouraging the people in his fishing village to move to the city and into new housing with plumbing and running water provided by the new government. This is such a beautiful book about unconditional love and adapting to a changing country. It's both a coming-of-age story for Abun, Siokme, and Singapore during its independence from British rule this is one of my favorite books published in 2023, and I can't recommend it enough. It's a beautiful, beautiful story.
0: This really sounds like a great story. You've mentioned it to me so many times over the last several months, but I can't remember. There was something significant about the title, The Great Reclamation. Yeah, so... Singapore
1: is an island country that I think it's about 15 miles wide, 30 miles long, so it's not big. And as their population increases, there are only two options for more space. One is building up, building tall buildings, but the other is building out by what's called land reclamation and um, which it, it involves increasing the island's actual physical mass so they fill in the water along the shores using large rocks sand soil and cement and since 1965 Singapore has actually increased their land mass by 25 percent via land reclamation
0: so wow. interesting it's unusual
1: yeah and I heard an interview somewhere where a little girl said we learned this in school in elementary their equivalent of their elementary school About Singapore's history. They learn about the Great Reclamation.
0: Fascinating.
1: You know, I was so intrigued by this history that I picked up a nonfiction book about Singapore entitled Lion City by Jeevan Vasagar. I would strongly encourage listeners to get both of these books because they complement each other so well. The book Lion City is short and just shy of 300 pages, which I think is the perfect length for a nonfiction history book when you're just looking for an overview on a history topic. Since Singapore became a sovereign country in 1965, it has become one of the top five wealthiest countries in the world. Lee Kuan Yew, Singapore's first prime minister, initially began his term in office with the goals of elevating people's lives and rooting out corruption. Schools were built, people were transitioned from living in fishing villages with no running water or toilets into government built high rises that had plumbing and were much more sanitary. Lee Kuan Yew also had the foresight to educate the people of Singapore and transition the country's workforce from illiterate, unskilled labor to high-tech manufacturing and finance. Today Singapore remains a global leader in finance and high-tech manufacturing. Now though Singapore grew to be an economically successful country, the book Lion City also exposes the country's historic authoritarian underbelly. Though Lee Kuan Yew was the democratically elected prime minister of Singapore in 1959, he remained prime minister for 31 years. According to the author, during his time as prime minister, um, newspapers deemed subversive in Singapore were shut down. Political candidates running against him for office were often sued for defamation when all they did was verbalize opposing viewpoints during the campaign. And those folks who were sued were often sued to the point of bankruptcy. In the book, the author notes that Singapore has been referred to as authoritarianism but with Gucci handbags and as Disney with the death penalty to give you an idea of the country's complexity. If you're listening and you enjoy learning about other countries and their systems of government or if you enjoy books about culture and history, then you'll really enjoy the book Lion City. The book is fast-paced, concisely written, and so interesting. On a final note, I'll leave you with an interesting law in Singapore, and one that you should definitely know before you go to Singapore. It's also a little indication about the level of order and control in the country. It is illegal to chew gum there. It is absolutely, positively illegal. It's illegal to sell chewing gum, it's illegal to distribute it, and it's illegal to chew it. If you're caught chewing gum in Singapore, you can be fined from $500 to $1,000.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. I had a 7th grade math teacher and high school soccer coach <laughs> who hated gum chewing. Oh, she would yes. definitely applaud that law.
1: That's so funny. <laughs> and I think only recently um are you now are they now allow the controlled sale of chewing gum only if it's if it's Nicorette, Nicorette against, oh, of course, you know, to to fight tobacco use. Yeah. And you have to have a prescription mm-hmm. to, and go to a pharmacy to get. But that's it careful where you dispose of it exactly and get rid of your gum before you get off the plane you know um so to recap these books uh, the novel is entitled the great reclamation by rachel hang the author's last name is spelled h-e-n-g The Great Reclamation was published by Riverhead Books in 2023. The nonfiction book just discussed is called Lion City by Jeevan Vasagar. The author's first name is spelled J-E-E-V-A-N. His last name is spelled V-A-S-A-G-A-R. Lion City was published by Pegasus Books in 2022.
0: On one of our visits to Kinokuniya bookstore in New York City last year, I picked up a novel by Taiwanese born American writer Lisa Shao Chen entitled Activities of Daily Living. I really like this novel. It's about the passing of time and what we do with it. I found it immensely creative and philosophical. Goodreads provides a nice synopsis of the book, so I'm going to read a part of it for you here. How do we take stock of a life? By what means? and by what measure? This is the question that preoccupies Alice, a Taiwanese immigrant in her late 30s. In the off hours from her day job, Alice struggles to create a project about the enigmatic downtown Manhattan performance artist named Tai Se and his monumental year-long 1980s performance pieces challenging the use of time. Meanwhile, Alice becomes the caretaker for her aging stepfather, a Vietnam vet whose dream of making traditional Chinese furniture dissolved in alcoholism and dementia. But as Alice roots deeper into the artist's radical use of time, her project starts metabolizing events from her own life. Now, the story moves between present day and 1980s New York City with snippets of Alice's life in Silicon Valley, California. Through Alice's eyes, we witness the stepfather's sad decline with dementia and the loss of his ADLs. If you work in healthcare, then you know ADL stands for Activities of Daily Living, which include one's ability to bathe, dress, feed, and toilet. In a September 2023 interview with Famous Writing Routines, which can be found at FamousWritingRoutines.com, the author admits to some autobiographical aspects of the novel, including caregiving for a dying parent and her own personal interest into the performance artist Tae Shing Sei. Sei's performance pieces captured the attention of the art community for their extreme quality. And if I'm honest, I find his work a little upsetting. In most of his pieces, he deprived himself of human comforts, risking both his physical and mental health. I'll tell you about two of his pieces in the first he confined himself to a cage in his apartment for an entire year void of any entertainment no books no radio no TV and limited human interaction in a second piece he punched a time clock every hour on the hour again for a full year now his performance art is integral to the story. His pieces challenge the notion of time while also being temporary, like life itself. Again, in the interview with Famous Writing Routines, the author expresses her belief that time can be broken into occupation, vocation, and death. Vocation, she says, is the activities we pursue for enjoyment and personal growth, which in the novel she calls projects. The style and mood of this novel remind me of Jhumpa Lahiri's novel Nowhere, which we featured in a previous episode. I find both novels meditative and cathartic because they ask their readers to think deeply about their lives and about their purpose. This novel also left me wondering is life performance art? I would say you've got to read this to anyone who appreciates art and philosophy and to anyone in search of meaning and purpose. This novel, again, is entitled Activities of Daily Living by Lisa Shao Chen. Chen, spelled C-H-E-N, received a 2018 Rona Hafi Foundation Writers Award and fellowships from the Center for Fiction in New York. Author of two other works, Activities of Daily Living is her debut novel. Born in Taipei, she currently resides in New York. Activities of Daily Living was published by Norton in 2022.
1: Our final book today is a fictionalized biography entitled The Maniac by Benjamin Labatut. The novel centers around a man named John von Neumann who was born in Hungary in 1903 and died in 1957 at the age of 53. John von Neumann was a brilliant physicist, mathematician, engineer, and computer scientist whose career was filled with discovery. He worked on the Manhattan Project, working on the atom bomb, he developed the mathematical concept of game theory, and built the mathematical foundation for quantum mechanics. Later in his career, his interests turned to the budding new field of computer science. Over his career, John von Neumann consulted with the CIA, IBM, RCA, and the RAND Corporation. He was so important that while he lay dying in Walter Reed Hospital, security was in his room 24 hours a day in case he accidentally blurted out national secrets or in case he disclosed any last mathematical discoveries to share with the world. I will say up front that I am not a math person. I am neither a science nor computer person. Having said that, I will tell you that I absolutely love this book. I knew nothing about John von Neumann until I read this novel. The history is so intriguing and the format of the book is especially clever and fun. Many chapters are told from the first person vantage point of someone that knew John Von Neumann. For example, one chapter is from the voice of a childhood friend. Another chapter is from the voice of a professor who had him in class. Another chapter is an ex-wife and yet another a former colleague. Each person has their own insight in history with Von Neumann, so as you read the book it almost feels like a documentary. Now, though many of the first-person opinions are, I'm sure, imagined, you can feel the depth of the research the author likely did on this man's life. In addition to learning about John von Neumann, the reader learns about other famous math and physics men living in the same era because they all traveled in the same circles. The book uncovers professional rivalries and jealousies, it exposes the profound mental health issues some of these mathematicians and physicists struggled with, It addresses the extremely challenging lives the wives of these men sometimes dealt with. Early on in the story, John von Neumann and other now-famous mathematicians and physicists like Kurt Gödel, Eugene Wigner, Paul Ehrenfest, are living in Europe. It's the 1930s. Nazism is on the rise, and most of these men are Jewish. Albert Einstein has already fled Europe for the United States. The story follows von Neumann's move to the United States. It then follows his work on the atom bomb, other math discoveries, and his eventual interest in infatuation with bettering the first computer. He made the computer smaller, he made its processing faster, and he created the ability for a computer to not only retain memory, but build on that information instead of just performing calculations. Von Neumann came to the belief that computers could someday learn and grow. He imagined artificial intelligence and believed it could eventually happen. This book was such an unexpected surprise and I could not put it down. It's a fantastic read. I want to emphasize again that you do not need to be interested in math, science, or computers at all to enjoy this novel. I actually think I enjoyed the book because I knew so little about the subjects. The author makes this history so palatable and so intriguing. Now, to go back to the title, upon first glance, it appears that the title of the book is The Maniac, but the word MANIAC is in all caps because it's actually an acronym for the name of the computer von Neumann helped invent. M-A-N-I-A-C, actually stands for Mathematical Analyzer, Numerical Integrator, and Computer. I would recommend reading this book in conjunction with the movie Oppenheimer because John von Neumann was a part of the Manhattan Project and was living during the same era the movie took place. The book, again, is entitled The Maniac by Benjamin Labatut. The author's last name is spelled L-A-B-A-T-U-T. Benjamin Labatute is a Chilean author, and The Maniac is his fourth novel. The Maniac was listed as one of Barack Obama's favorite books in 2023. It was also listed as one of the 10 best books of 2023 by the Washington Post. The Maniac was published by Penguin Press in 2023. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. All of the books we discussed today can be purchased on our bookshop page by clicking the link in notes. Make sure to check out as a guest when you make your purchase, and we will receive a portion of each sale that goes to the production of this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd appreciate it if you give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.